Let me ask you to go ahead and take out your Bibles and let's open them up to the book of Exodus and chapter 20. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, if you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, that's, that's okay. Uh, we have some provided for you in the seats in front of you. And uh, if you choose to use that Bible, you'll find our passage this morning on page 61. Uh, we're looking at Exodus chapter 20. I want to begin this morning with a, a question for you. It's a question I actually come back to time and again in my own life and for the good of my own soul. Uh, it's a question we've been discussing recently in our teen group uh, as we've been reading through uh, Piper's book, God is the Gospel. So here's the question as, as Piper puts it, and uh, you see how you would answer this question. If you could have heaven... With no sickness, and with all the friends you have ever had on earth, and all the food you have ever liked, and all the leisure activities you have ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? That's the test. Uh, This is how we try and see whether we truly love God and our Lord Jesus Christ or if we just love their gifts. Uh, Have you ever had a supposed friend, uh, but after a while realized that your friend didn't really seem to care about you, they were just using you for what they could get from you, for what you could do for them? I think a lot of people treat God that way. Uh, They say they love God, but what they really love is what they get from God. It isn't Him they love so much as His gifts. And if He withholds His gifts, or if He brings discipline or trials into their lives, suddenly they find their love for Him beginning to shrivel and to die. So how about you? If you could have heaven... With everything that heaven means to you, but Christ was not there, would it still be heaven for you? Do you love God as God? Are you able to say, if I have nothing else but God, that's heaven. That's true joy. This morning we come to the first of the Ten Commandments And there is a reason this commandment comes first. The order of the Ten Commandments matters. It's not as if God put the Ten Commandments in a basket and just randomly drew them out in the order they came. Rather, the Ten Commandments begin with our obligations towards God and then move to our obligations towards one another. The Ten Commandments start with God because God is at the very center of reality. God is what is most valuable in the world. This world is not first and foremost about us. This world is first and foremost about God. All things are from Him and through Him and for Him. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Romans eleven thirty six. So Mount Hermon, as we come to this first commandment, 
Our self-centered worldviews are to be shattered and are to be forever left behind. Uh, We're stepping into light. We're stepping into truth. And here is the truth. It's all about Him. It's not ultimately all about us. We are learning here the God-centeredness of the universe and our obligation to align our lives accordingly. God's people are to be a God-centered people. Uh, Loving God through obedience to the first commands comes before loving other people because we can never love other people rightly until our love for them springs from our love for God. Uh, True love of others is not about helping them find joy in their own value. True love of others is helping them find joy in the one who is supremely valuable, namely God himself. To put it differently, we do not truly love others by serving their self-esteem. We truly love others when we serve their God-esteem. When we help them to see God as, as He is. To be reconciled to Him and to have Him as their God and they as His child. The more others see and savor the glories of the God who made them, the God who can save them, the God who can be their father and the refuge and their soul's dearest companion, the more they can know real joy. So if loving another person is about caring for their welfare, the best thing we can ever do is connect them to God himself and to help their faith and their joy in God deepen and strengthen. So, if you want to love other people well, it begins here in your own life with this. Love God supremely. Until, you've loved, until you are loving God supremely, you cannot love others well. And that's why the Ten Commandments are in the order that they're in with the focus on loving God first. And here's how. Commandments 1, 2, 3, 4. And then loving others. Secondly, Commandments 5 through 10. Uh, This is the message of the first commandment. Love God above all else. Uh, Look with me at Exodus 20. Let's read the first three verses. The first three verses of Exodus 20. It's the very word of God spoken from the mountain. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, We'll be using five questions to unpack this first commandment. Uh, We'll do some of them this morning and then we'll do some of them tonight. And here is our first question question. What is God setting apart for honor in this first commandment? Because you see, every one of the Ten Commandments reveals something that God values. Every one of the Ten Commandments reveals something that that God has deemed worthy of honor, something that is not to be profaned. Our culture has its values. Our culture has certain ideas and objects and behaviors that are deemed worthy of our love, worthy of our reverence, but we do not get to decide what's most valuable in the world. 
God gets to decide what's most valuable in the world. And he reveals to us what is most valuable and worthy of our honor and esteem through these commandments. So what is God setting apart as worthy of honor in the first commandment? God himself. God himself. Above everything else in the world, there is one who must be set above all. There is one in this world who was not created, but is the creator. He is not sustained. He is the sustainer. He is not subject to time and space, but rather is in all times and in all places. We depend on Him for our existence. He does not depend on us for anything. We could not exist without Him. He can exist just fine without us and did so for eternity past. There is one being who is transcendent, utterly set apart from all else, perfect in every good attribute. He is wise, He is good, He is just, He is fair. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He can do anything. We are to honor above all else in our hearts, in our minds, He who is the highest and the best of beings. And we call Him God. We talked last week about why these commandments, several of them, are given in the negative. Thou shalt not. God is speaking to a hard-hearted Israel at Mount Sinai. An Israel that's already failing to keep these commandments. God uses the negative to pierce their hearts. To cut through their hardness, to bring them to conviction. But if you were to put the first commandment into the positive, it would be this. You shall have God, the true God, as your only God. You shall have God, the true God, as your only God. This commandment is a a call to esteem and to love God above everything else. He is to have no competitors in your heart. Uh, To get very practical... We obey this commandment by acknowledging God as the one true God and embracing Him as such with our minds and with our hearts and with our wills. So let me give you three practical points here. Number one, we are to know God as the one true God with our minds. We are to learn who He is. You and I don't get to fashion God in our own image. We don't get to sit around and say, well, when I think about God, I like to think of Him this way. And then we create the kind of God that we want. We don't get to do that. God is who He is. God is the I Am. And we obey the first commandment by learning about the God who actually is. We obey the first commandment by learning about the God who is and acknowledging Him as such. Second, We are also to esteem God as the one true God with our hearts. With our hearts. So it's not just intellectual. I need to make sure that I know about this one true God. But I am then to esteem Him in my love, in my affection as the one true God. I am to have an appropriate humility towards Him, an appropriate reverence towards Him. When I speak about Him, I need to be aware I'm speaking about God. By the way, 
part of esteeming God as God in our hearts is believing all that He says. If He's God, then I don't argue with Him over what is right and what is wrong. If He is God, I don't try and force Him to submit to my wants or my feelings. Rather, we approach God in humility, as His creatures, as children to a father, and as subjects to a king. We are to receive God's teaching about what is true. We're to believe every promise that He speaks. We're to take heart every warning that He sends our way. We are to regard God's commands as the proper way of living. When we regard God as God in our hearts, then we treasure His words, we receive His words, we live by His words. Because after all, if He's God, then He's smarter than me, He's wiser than me, He loves me more than I love myself. I would be a fool to live my ways rather than learning from Him and obeying what He says. Well, then third, this commandment also calls us to honor God as the one true God with our wills. That is, we are to honor God as the one true God in every decision we make, in our attitudes, in our thoughts that we entertain in our minds, the words that we speak. We honor God as the true God by doing what He says over and against the will and desires of anything else, including our own wills. We show God to be God when we obey Him instead of our own inclinations. We honor God as God when we're willing to be mocked, hated, misunderstood, or forsaken by others in order to obey Him. He is the King. His will is supreme. Nobody else's will should be supreme in your life. His will is supreme. He should be exalted in your eyes above everyone and everything else. And when His people live that way, the world sees God as He is. as supreme over all. So what is God setting apart for honor in this very first commandment? Himself. What did he say in Isaiah 48 verse 11? My glory I will not give to another. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This God does not allow for anything to be higher than himself. Isaiah 48.9 I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. And Mount Hermon, God is not being selfish in these statements. He's being loving. Our greatest and our highest joy is bound up in us seeing Him as the most valuable being in the universe. You and I were not created to be on the stage. We were made to be the audience finding our highest delights in seeing Him, knowing Him, standing in awe of Him, God calls us to be who we were made to be. Lovers of God. He gets the praise of which He is worthy. And we get abundant and eternal joy. Second question. Second question. How have we broken this commandment? Remember, the Ten Commandments are a mirror that show us our true selves. 
Uh, The Ten Commandments were given to convict us of our sin. The Ten Commandments were given to show us our need of a Savior. And each and every one of us in this room has broken all ten of the Ten Commandments. How have we broken this one? Let me mention some ways that the first commandment can be broken and you see which ones apply to you. So first, there is atheism. Atheism. Uh, At the heart of the first commandment is the call to honor God as God. But an atheist does the opposite of this. An atheist suppresses the truth about God that he or she knows deep down in their hearts and instead declares that there is no God. This person denies that there is the highest and the best of beings. The the God who is the ultimate glory of the universe. The God who is to be exalted above all. The God who is worthy of infinite love and affection and obedience. The atheist says, He doesn't exist. And that's the ultimate violation of the first commandment. And therefore, atheists do not give gratitude to God even though he's the source of their life, even though he daily sustains their existence, they're not thankful. Atheists don't give praises to God. They don't worship God as such. They don't talk about God's goodness to others. And some atheists even look down upon or mock those who believe in God. Atheism is logically flawed. It's self-defeating. We've talked about all that in, in the past. But for now, we simply need to acknowledge atheism is a violation of this very first commandment. But then second, and maybe closer to home for many of us, there is functional atheism. Functional atheism. Because you see, most people don't go around calling themselves atheists. Most people, even those who never go to church, even those who don't care a thing about God, if you ask them in a survey, they'll still say they believe in God. If we went around in this neighborhood and did a survey door to door, we would find a very, very small percentage of our neighbors would say, oh, I'm an atheist, even though many more, their lives show no real regard for God. I think there are a lot of functional atheists. They say they believe in God, but their lives don't reflect that belief. They're not seeking to honor God with their lives. Their decisions are driven not by what God wants. Their decisions are driven by what they want. These people live their lives their own way, with little thought to having to give an account before God one day. Uh, These people, their thoughts and opinions aren't guided by God's word, their own instincts and the influence of others around them and in the media. That's what drives them. They pay lip service to God if pressed, but they are living as if he's not worthy of their time, living as if he's not worthy of their attention, living as if he's not worthy of their allegiance or their obedience. They have better things to do than to worry about God. Dear friend, how about you? Is that anybody in here this morning? Are are you a functional atheist? Do you claim to have God as your God, but honestly, on Monday through Saturday, God is hardly even in your thoughts? His will is not actually making much of a difference in your life? In some ways, this is worse than atheism proper, because at least those atheists are being honest. Functional atheists are, are being hypocrites. They say one thing, but they live another way. They're they're two-faced. They say God exists and He's worthy of honor. Now I'm going to live my life in a way that shows no regard for Him. 
A third way of violating the first commandment is idolatry. Idolatry. Uh, This is actually what the first commandment speaks against. Maybe you thought that's what the second commandment was mainly about. We'll talk about that next week. But actually the first commandment is about idolatry. That is, giving to another the worship and the glory that is due to God alone. Giving to another the worship and glory which is due to God alone. And frankly, this is the one where every one of us in this room must proclaim that we have been guilty. Um, In fact, atheists, functional atheists, they're not real atheists at all. They still have their gods. They still have those people or ideas or things to whom they give their highest honor and their highest affection. The assessment of the Bible of the entire human race is that we are all idolaters. We like to try and remove God from His throne and we like to put something else there, especially our own, our own selves. Uh, Calvin said that the human heart is an idol-making factory. We have the terrible ability to take even the simplest of things and turn them into idols. We can take the most basic of God's gifts. We can take food or drink or sex or health or relationships or family. These gifts from God and we can allow them to so grip us that they become the decisive factors driving our lives. We begin to look to God's gifts to satisfy us and fulfill us in a way that only God himself can do. We are so prone to making idols of things in our lives. I mentioned two kinds of idolatry. One, there are false religions. False religions. Uh, when you worship Allah, whose prophet is Muhammad, or Baal, or Buddha, or your ancestors, these are all violations of the first commandment. Uh, these gods are not gods at all. These are satanic counterfeits. These are false religions intended to draw people away from true religion. And then second, there's heart idolatry. Heart idolatry. This is where we put anything in God's place in our love and our esteem. Uh, Frankly, all false religions has its root in idolatry and heart idolatry. Uh, So we wonder, why did those ancient peoples worship gods made of wood? Why did those ancient peoples worship gods made of stone or metal? But remember, those gods represented things those people valued. Fertility, beauty, war, violence, drunkenness, a partying spirit. At the end of the day, what those people were worshiping through those images and the, the false gods that those images represented was ultimately... Sex and food and drink and drunkenness and partying. And those were the gods of the ancient world. In ancient times, people went to religious feasts and celebrations. Today, people go to to, to late night clubs and things like that. But the gods have not changed. The idols have not changed. The question that the first commandment puts before you and puts before me is this. Who or what has your heart? Who or what is your chief treasure and that which you value most? Choosing to know, esteem, and honor God as the one true God means doing away with all competitors. Uh, Make no mistake about it. When you take God as your God, you are making a radical choice. 
The moment you choose to honor God as the one true God, you're saying that everything else, everything else must take a subordinate place to him. So remember Joshua speaking to the people of Israel? And he says to them, look, people, you've got to make a choice once and for all. He says, now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friend, have you ever had a line in the sand moment where you declared that God would be your God and that for the rest of your life, everything must take second place to him? The big point here is that you don't want to be a limper. A limper. I remember Elijah's speech in 1 Kings 18. He said, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow Him. If Baal is God, then follow Him. Friends, are you a limper? Are you here this morning with a divided heart, divided allegiances? Could it be that you're trying to limp between serving multiple gods? Mount Hermon, the little word and can be a wonderful word. Chocolate's good. Chocolate and peanut butter? It's even better, in my opinion, right? But sometimes the word and can be very dangerous. And when it comes to who we worship and who we live for and who has our heart, we must beware that little word and. Beware a lifestyle that says, I can have God and my job as my highest priorities. Beware the false notion that says, I can have God and my family as the highest treasures of my life. Dear friends, you were not made to serve two masters, and you cannot do it. And if you take anything other than God and put it on the same level as Him, ultimately, your allegiance to God is going to be compromised in the service of those other things. If you try and have God and your job as your highest joys, you'll soon be compromising your obedience to God in order to, do, to, to get a little further along in your job. And if you try and have God and your family as the most meaningful loves of your life, you will soon be sacrificing your allegiance to God to please your family. There can only be one God on the throne of your heart. And the question is, who will it be? One of my goals with each of these commandments is to lead us in a few moments of, of self-examination. And so I want to use some questions that, that I gleaned and revised from Henry Scudder's book, The Christian's Daily Walk. Don't worry about taking notes here or following the outline. We'll come back to that. But right now, I simply want you to hear these questions as I read them. I'm just going to read some questions for you. And I want you to answer them in your own heart. Examine your own soul. So here we go. Do I know and worship the true God revealed in the Bible? Namely, He who is perfect in every way, incapable of the least effect, wise, good, all-powerful, loving, true, merciful, just, holy, and altogether excellent. Do I believe every part of His Word 
including everything taught, commanded, promised, and threatened within it? Do I esteem and exalt God in my heart above everything else, so that my heart humbly adores God at the very mention and thought of Him? That I judge myself to be nothing in my own eyes, esteeming all else as nothing in comparison with Him? Have I given worship to God alone? Do I trust ultimately in Him alone? Do I pray to Him alone? Do I give Him the glory and the thanks for every good thing that comes in my life? Is my conscience so convinced of the truth and authority of God that it holds itself absolutely bound to obey God in all things so that my conscience incites me to do that what is good and my conscience restrains me against that what is evil because of its high regard for God? Is my will resolved to absolutely obey God in all things, doing whatever He commands, abstaining from whatever He forbids, and bearing patiently with whatever He chooses to bring into my life? Have my feelings been such that I can say I love God with all my heart, that I love nothing more than Him, I love nothing equal to Him, I hate everything contrary to Him, I desire fellowship with Him, I fear separation from Him, I'm ashamed of my sins against Him, I'm angered when I hear His name dishonored, I rejoice in Him as my chief treasure, and I make Him the ultimate end of my every action. Has my entire body, including my mind, my eyes, my ears, my arms, my legs, my tongue, been fully devoted to God above everything else? Or am I not guilty of denying God in my words or in my works or at least in my heart? Questioning the truth of His word, denying His providence, power, faithfulness, or some other attribute of His character. Have I not been resistant to God's will? Stubborn against God's will, sometimes ignorant of God's will, blind, deluded, lukewarm, or sometimes outright rebellious against God's will. And have I not set my affections upon the world rather than upon God, loving that which is evil and hating that which is good, sometimes fearing man more than God and trusting in the creature rather than the creator? Having something other than God is my chief joy. Mount Hermon, do we see how great our sin in this matter is? And do you realize that we've done all of these sins? Every time that we violate the first commandment and put something else in God's place, we do it before His watching eyes. That's what the commandment says. You shall have no other God's before me, meaning before my eyes, in my presence. I sit above all. I see all. And God's attention is especially drawn to those who would give His glory to another. Our God is a jealous God. And there is a divine jealousy in His being for the glory of His name. You haven't just dishonored the God who made you, the God who gives and sustains your life, but you've dishonored that God right before His very watching eyes. 
You haven't been unfaithful to God behind his back. You have blatantly disregarded him. You have demeaned him to his very face. And we do it every time we choose to do anything contrary to his will. That's one of the things that makes the first commandment unique. You can't commit a sin without breaking the first commandment. Justice demands that we be punished. Justice demands that the holy, good, righteous name of God be vindicated from the assault that our sins have made upon it. This is why hell is so severe. It's because our crimes are so heinous, because God's worth is so great. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, nothing is keeping you from the judgment ahead for you except the patient kindness of God. But make no mistake, you are naked and vulnerable before Him. When His righteous wrath comes upon you, it will come in fury and it will come forever. When God's righteous wrath against those who have broken His law is released, there will be no timeouts, there will be no no pauses for you to have a breather. It will just be eternal suffering. Because violating the first commandment is that heinous of a crime. It's that vile. That's the judgment it deserves. And yet I have great news for all of us. (laughs) Great news. What you and I have failed to do, namely keep this first commandment, Jesus Christ came and did for us. Jesus came to this world and He perfectly honored God as God in everything. He perfectly revered His Father, obeyed His Father. He did not give in to a single temptation to do otherwise, though He knew temptation much stronger than you or I have ever felt. Jesus Christ knew God as the one true God with His mind, and He esteemed God as the one true God with His heart, and He honored God as the one true God with His will, with every word He spoke, with every thought He thunk, the every deed that He did. Even when honoring God above all meant incredible suffering and incredible agony, Christ counted the worth of His Father as deserving of it. Christ was willing to endure the cross to show the honor and the glory of His Father. How did Christ fulfill the first commandment? He was devoted to God above all else, even to the point of death. And there at the cross, Jesus took upon Himself the judgment we sinners deserve because of this sin, this sin of honoring anything more than God. He bore the wrath of God for sinners. And friend, when you believe on Jesus Christ, the saving work of Christ is applied to you. And His cross takes away your sins before God. His righteousness, His 33 years of honoring God above all and everything, that is credited to your account in the sight of God. You can be declared righteous in the sight of God, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you as a substitute. And when you believe on Jesus Christ, that happens. You are declared righteous and then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you and He begins working to help you actually grow in honoring God as you ought. Christians still fall down. Christians still mess up. Christians still break the first commandment. But those sins are all covered by the blood of Jesus. 
But once we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and all Christians do, we're growing. We're making progress. It's slow. But we're making progress. And already the decisive changes happened. Already at the core of who you are, if you're a believer, you can say, I count everything else as rubbish compared with knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. <laughs> he is supreme in your heart at the bottom of who you are. Dear friend, heaven is heaven because God is there. Heaven is heaven because Jesus Christ is there. And if you will run to Jesus Christ and be saved, you can be saved from the consequences of your sins and you can be saved from the power of your sins. And you can be brought securely into that world where God's glory shines forever. If there's anybody in this room who's never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would do so today. Let's pray together.